On this episode of AV Week, Logitech has a brand new soft codec interface, the rise of huddle spaces in AV, and the pros and cons of hiring out extra AV labor. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 392, recorded Friday, March 1st, 2019. Flame Matt. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, Sound Extraordinary, and by Middle Atlantic, what great systems are built on, and by FSR. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap up. Of audio, visual, news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With Not us. Not anymore, Tim. Uh, no, nope, it's our show now. Let me at least do the introduction. No, no, we've taken over. I am your host, Bradford Ben. There you go. With my sidekick, Matt D. Scott. Hey, uh, how you doing, Bradford? And of course, Uncle Richie, Rich Fergosa, holding us all together. Tim Albright is detained this week, pondering the topic of frames for projection screens. He was very uptight about that, actually. Yeah. Very concerned that maybe there shouldn't be a frame in a boardroom on a projection screen. I was going to ask Richie, Uncle Richie, is this something that some of your high-end residential clients might want? A projection screen? No, a frame frame. around the projection screen. When was, was actually, the better question, Uncle Richie, is when was the last time you saw a residential uh, high-end theater room with a projection screen that did not have a frame on it? When was the last time you used a drop down in high end residential in a theater room? A drop down screen in residential. Yeah. Any sort of pull down. Come on. Oh, a manual pull down? I, I mean, I like, yeah. like, you know, like bringing the professor out and, and you know, and the, and the, uh, the, the AV cart kids. Um, Either or. I got to say that uh, probably a couple of years ago, I did a frameless projection screen that was inset surrounded by mirrors. That's that was fun. That before. <laughs> that right. was that was a whole lot of math and a whole lot of sweating. Uh, so, so Tim, what stories do you actually want us to be talking about? Thank you, I appreciate. It. Well, the, first and foremost, our friends over at AV Magazine uh, talking about Logitech Tap and uh, their new uh, UI, which is interesting. The fact that they're going after this market, um, Logitech Tap uh, the, it, at ISC, they introduced it's a touch control display that makes collaboration rooms, quote unquote, easy to deploy and use. Tap is part of a pre-configured room solution for major collaboration platform providers such as Google, uh, as well as Microsoft Teams and Zoom rooms. That's the one thing that's interesting about this is you've got Logitech going after these all-in-one soft codec systems and they're not alone, right? There, there are other folks, Crestron goes, uh, has a, a solution for this, several other um, peripheral um, companies, not that Crestron's are peripheral, but they have a, a solution for this. Um, Bradford, in, in not just, you know, you, you work for um, a major end user, but you also guys also obviously have office spaces. Is this something that makes sense? Is this a new market for, for manu- manufacturers as well as integrators, putting these kind of, you know, all these turnkey solutions in kind of all in one box? Yes and no. Okay. Allow me to explain. Yeah. Yes, it's a new market. 
it's a very good market because that is one of our biggest problems, not just at my company, at every company I've gone to that's tried to do web conferencing, that's trying to do this, is the who has the dongle, who's connecting, who's, what number do I dial into, all this stuff. So the one, in, the, the all-in-one appliance makes a lot of sense. The reason the Logitech one concerns me is because it does three systems. And it's like, no, three I want different, something. Three different systems. Three different systems. Not at once, but does three different systems. And it's like, no, I, as an end user, would much rather walk into a room and know, oh, this is a click share room. I plug in the USB and hit the button. And that's the only way I use it. This other one, this is a WebEx room. I have a WebEx Teams board over there. I pull out my laptop. I connect to the network. It does the ultrasonic pairing. It's done. Or it might have a WebEx Teams room panel on the, on the table that only does the WebEx Teams. It doesn't try to do everything else. But hold on. You don't know if it can be locked down if it's only capable of doing all three. Maybe okay, I haven't laid hands on it yet. But unlike Elton Brown, there are certain things that should be unitaskers, in my opinion. How long, and those of you who know me, how long did I carry a separate music player and mobile phone for a very long time because I couldn't find one that did both well. And what I'm worried about is a Logitech device. I have not touched it. I have not played with the GUI. I haven't tried to, uh, you know, to break anything on it yet. But I've just found from me using conference rooms as I'm traveling and going from room to room, like here, I picked a different room because it supported Zoom to be able to do this. As I travel around, I found that the biggest complaint that people have is, I just want it all to work the same. And I think that getting a Logitech panel that says, oh, I have a Logitech panel in this room, and I do this, and it's controlling a WebEx meeting, and then go to another room that has a Logitech panel with it, and it's a Zoom room, will get confusing. In addition to, I don't know what the GUI looks like. So I believe that Conference rooms play a huge part in commerce, uh, both for the AV industry and for those of us doing business. And I think our biggest miss is that we try to make one thing do too many things. And that's what scares me about the Logitech. Simple is good. All right, Richie. Richie has spent the last couple of, I guess, month or so at the top of, a, of an impressive um, office building in, in San Francisco. Is this something that you know you've seen in in your travels and in your when you're you know doing rolling up systems that makes a whole lot of sense, or is it you know the bigger the company, the more impressive they want their boardrooms? Yeah, I mean it's it's the the bigger the company, the the more sophisticated the boardroom, the least sophisticated the user. Um, Bingo, thank you. What we're dealing with, and you know, I mean it's it's. We call them, you know, we, in the old days, we used to call them executive control systems for a reason. Um, you know, it was basically the big green button that says start meeting. Um, and we still do it. I mean, it, it, we, technically, we really do. Um, what I found over the years is it's not necessarily the type of system. Really, what it comes down to is that there's so many choices now with soft codecs, right? That's the issue is that, you know, it's kind of like standards, right? There's so many to choose from now. When we were dealing with very specific video conference and audio conference over um, 
over a POTS line or over an ISDN line, you only had X amount of people in, in, in there. Um, and one of the things to consider is now that these items aren't exorbitantly expensive from a hardware standpoint, companies and CTOs and, and the executives and whoever is in, in the decision-making process settles in on some form of UC ecosystem. So whether it's WebEx, whether it's the Logitech, whether, you know, they're, they're you know, blue jeans, any of those that are out there, you, you never know what they're going to be using. So what we're finding more is figuring out what the company is settling on for their collaboration um, software. Uh, and then it becomes a matter of, okay, well, does this do one of the systems well? Does it do one or the other? Do you have to bridge in some of the traditional hard codec functions along with the software codec functions. Um, and and I that's have to do a where... quick question, Richie. First, may I call you Richie? <laughs> but my, my second Please question... approach the bench, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, Your Honor, uh, my first question is, how much of these big corporate boardrooms are you being asked, well, on my phone, I open the app of choice and I hit you know, make call or do video call and poof, it works. Are they control? Are they comparing that to the experience in the big executive conference room, or is that not an issue at the level you're playing? I think that with with the, I think that in the larger spaces, you've just got more stuff, yeah. um, to deal with. You know, when when you're you know, and again, it's why has the huddle space become so popular and why has it exploded? It's because you can get a lot done in a small amount of real estate. And a lot of times I've seen it where it doubles up as somebody's cubicle. You know, you basically, they, you know, they're, they're sitting on one side of the table and they bring two or three people over and they scooch over to the other side of the table and they plug in the USB and away they go. And so I'm finding that, you know, the employers are with the, the, the huddle space view. I'll tell that. you, my, my cube is that way. I have a table in my cube that I share with four people. That's the whole purpose of it. So we can share and work in there but i was i was thinking as we look at the displays and the communications is how much the mobile device is driving this and it sounds from your market that at the high end it's the complexity of all the data needs that's still keeping it complex yeah and again you know it it, it does become the 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 use of the room You're, you've got a far different user experience when you've got two to three people that you're dealing with in a room as opposed to 36, yeah. you know, or if you've got an overflow room and you've got 36 in the main room and another 50 in an overflow room. So, you know, it, 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 it always comes back to, you know, there's the use case, right? You know, the, the huddle, the, the, the soft codec, the huddle space model is still going to be that 90, 10 rule. You know, the same thing you see with residential at this point, right? You know, there's the do it with me model or the do it yourself model of these devices that are making inroads um, because of mobile. And they are changing the landscape in the upper echelon. Seeing that same thing in commercial and education and in, in, in network operation centers, you know, there's always going to be that bubble up from mobile at this point. However, it depends on what reliability levels that you're looking for. Let me and ask you. I, think I, that's really I, I have another question for you, Mr. Richester. Uh, so as you're looking at these meeting rooms where you're saying you have the overflow room and it's a room of 36 people, how much of this do you think is starting to change the dynamics of a meeting? Because at least in the education market, if you record a classroom for distance learning, it's not the same experience for the far learner as 
having a dedicated studio for distance learning where there's no students in the room so that that way you're not interacting and reading the message. Do you think that's going to be a problem as you're doing these overflow rooms? In other words, I've been advocating for meeting I'm taking part in. Either we're all meeting via the via WebEx Teams or Zoom or whatever, or none of us are because it's unfair with all the side conversations that go on. Do you find that that's an issue at all for for the applications you're working with, or how do you address those issues? I don't think we've we've had that issue because we we've, we've seen hybrids where we'll have two or three offices that are in. Um, we'll see an overflow room. We'll see the main room. And what was it that one of the clients said is, honestly, we're only going to put the camera on the important people. <laughs> and he meant it. <laughs> he meant it's kind it. Of, it's kind of what's happening here during the show. It's just you and me, Rich. I'm trying to box out Tim and Matt and just keep it between you and me. Well, maybe so, before we go too far, hang on. Before we go too far with that, Matt, Richie made the point of saying, you know, there are so many soft codecs to choose from. I was at um, uh, Collaboration Week New York uh, earlier this week, and something that he said I found actually a little shocking. There are 230-some-odd um, soft codecs available today. Yeah, but there's only five that matter. But 230. <laughs> 230, and, and, and I, might, I might give you five or 10 that, that, that are, you know, obviously industry, you know, market leaders there, on that. Two, yeah, that's, that's, also a, that's also a misleading number, though. Why? Because I've, I've read some of these reports. Yeah. If you're listening to an MP3 on your laptop, yeah. that's it's a codec. codec. Yeah. If you're listening to a FLAC file on your laptop, video, that's a soft codec. Video soft codecs, right? Video soft codecs. They were Video saying, soft codecs for playing back a DVD. No, an MP no for, for two-way communication. I just wanted to make sure you clarified yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm clarifying it. So to, to, for video, two-way video communication, there are 230, actually there was 236 or 37, I think, uh, is what they were saying. But why oh, does that matter? Why, why, do, why does it matter? Is that not, is, I mean, it's almost... It, it's going to be like anything. Years, but Infocom the last few years has kind of, they've, they've got their collaboration, they've got their UC space, right? And we're seeing more and more of these these new folks that are coming in every year. You're you're going to have Cisco, right? Which is which is hardware. Yeah. You're going to have Polycom, which is hardware and, and software both. But you're also going to start seeing Zoom there, right? You're going to start see Zoom. Zoom. You're going to see High Five. You're going to see all of these different these different companies. But the big difference for our space and what matters to us is can we support what our clients are asking for? Can you? I don't I don't care if there's 500 soft codecs. What I care about is if my client comes to me and says, hey, I want a high five room. Can you make this work? We look at it and, and either say, yeah, yeah, of course we can. Or eh, maybe not. It, it, at the end of the day, it just comes back to knowing that you can take after your clients. And if it's something where you need to kind of try and steer them or, or at least show them the reasons why you're recommending, in our case, Zoom over anything else, if you can outlay it and show them why, go for it. Okay, and hopefully please. they'll go your way. If they don't, you then have to make the decision of whether you want to try and support that and make it happen for them or if you want to walk away from the client. But at the end of the day, the client's paying the bill. We're not in charge. We like to think we are and we think we're special in our own world, but we're not. The client's paying the bill. If they want to use High Five instead of Cisco, even though they should be using Cisco, let them use High Five. Let so them as, make the mistake. What, what as the, the client, you can't as push the, them so far. Yeah. Okay, so client. as the client, as the client, I disagree with you a little bit. You're going to let me tell you what you need to get. No, 
I care about how many different codecs there are, and I want there to be less. Here's the reason why. If you use codec number 237 and you want to have a meeting with me, I now have to go get something that works with codec 237. If not, codec 237 is a walkie-talkie without a receiver. It's kind of fun to run around and, and play with, but you can't talk to anybody. That, that's not what I'm saying, though. But, that, but that's what I'm saying is there are so many different protocols that do you buy WebEx? Do you buy Zoom? Do you buy High Five? Do you buy LifeSites? Do you buy Skype the, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Do you do Skype for Business? Do you do Microsoft Link, which is now Skype for Business? I'm fine. And I understand why companies want proprietary. But me coming into a conference room or setting up a meeting with a vendor, we now tell our vendors, this is how we're going to be, be interacting with you because of having so many different versions of software that we were trying to support in our rooms. It got to be crazy. So it's kind of like the phone system. Could but that's imagine, also. Could you imagine on, if you had four different phones on your desk all the time? One worked with the different people. Yeah. Yeah. One called pots, one but called it, snots, one called tots, you know, it just gets. But Bradford, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you as the end user, mm -hmm. you need to make the decision of what you want. Right. And, I have. and whatever that is. And, and I've had countless conversations with clients who say, Ooh, we really want to do, for example, Skype. And I say, okay, so who do you VC with? Who are you trying to talk to? Is it in, in your own office? Are you talking to someone else? The, we had a client who had a contract with a company that's not far away from you. Maybe considered one of your competitors. There they, is no competition to me. What I mean. Not you, the not company you, you're with. You, yeah, personally, yeah. <laughs> they, the, our local company was adamant that they were going to use Skype for business. And the only reason they needed VC was to talk to that company across from you. Yes, I know where, yeah. And I said, you need to talk to them and find out what they want to talk to you on. And then that's what we will put in because that's why you're doing this. It doesn't matter what you want in this case. You need to have something that you can talk to whoever your client or whoever you need to VC with. And so again, that, follow, that comes back to us doing our job. Right. To so let me follow this on. Well, let me follow this on. Hang on you have me. more than one client. Yes. Which system do you put in? Well, hang and on. And that's what, I, what bothers me. He's already but again, said has to you got to make that decision he has to talk with his clients and say yes or no we can we can support this matt to your point what are your steps what what do you go in let's say that somebody throws a, a curveball and it's a it's a it's a soft codec you've never heard of before then what are your steps to say to, to go through and, and go these are the check boxes that we have to check off to say yes we can support this yes we can put the system in and yes it, it'll be a success it, it, it always becomes something of as you go through that discovery with your client, you need to find out what they want to use internally, what they think they're going to use externally, who their main people are that they want to talk to, and you start down that road. When you get that call of, hey, we want to connect with these people who are using this, so we need to support you know, 237, then we have to take that back if they want us to. A lot of times they kind of want to figure that out themselves, but when they come to us and say, hey, we, we just got asked to use 237. Can you help us with soft codec 237? We take it back. We look at it. We start to do some due diligence to make sure that A, it'll work with all of their existing equipment. B, what's the cost of implementing that, that change or that software change to touch panels or whatever has to happen. Then we look at the security side of it. 
and make sure that it's a secure codec that does not cause problems within their environment because we've seen that where someone has this random off the shelf and it wants access to everything before it'll run. We've got to do that due diligence and then come back and present a report of here's the challenges, here's what we can do. And most importantly, this is what it's going to cost you. Because a lot of times when somebody brings that obscure Kodak, it's only because that's what they've decided they want to use. It's not that that, you know, uh, secondary client of our client is sold on that. It's just something that they're using. So let me ask you a question, Matt. You're a small business owner, hoping mm -hmm. to be a big business owner someday. Same thing with you, with you Uncle Richie. Uh, are you now spending an inordinate amount of time concentrating on conference rooms instead of houses of worship or other things because of the fact that you have to do that due diligence every time instead of just going, oh, it's a phone line, I plug it in, poof, it's done. Is this detracting you from other avenues of revenue and other parts of the AV industry? So let me jump on this first, Richie, if you don't mind. Um, we try not to. And what I mean by that is, we have the set codecs that we prefer to support and we prefer to allow our, and it sounds terrible to say it like that, but allow our clients to use when they want something random or weird or, uh, you know, off the shelf that we have never dealt with. There's a cost associated with us doing that due diligence. As far as the second part of your question and going into whether it detracts from what, what we do, it can if you let it get away from you, but at the end of the day, that's a business decision based on where you, A, feel you have the most potential for growth, B, what your skill set is, um, and, and C, making sure that the revenue is there to support it. We've gotten away from, just to speak for our, for our, our resi division for a minute, we've gotten away from, we, do, we no longer offer any sort of like traditional smart home basic products because there is no money in that for us we have gone down a different path in residential with a couple of things that we're doing on our commercial side. We still support boardrooms. We still do conference systems and things such as that. But the primary part of our corporate commercial business is now networking and it, it has become a much bigger portion of that, you know, previous corporate environment that was VC in terms of our house of worship we're still doing as much house of worship as we've ever done in the past. Uh, we've had some role changes that have kind of changed the way that we approach that. But what I do notice, which I think is kind of what you're alluding to, there's a significant push within the, within the industry and within the channel that, you know, AV as we see it, commercial AV as we see it is mostly UC and, and, and conference rooms and that, corporate environment. It is not PA. It is not live sound. It is not rental stage. It is not house of worship. The downside of that is that we're now seeing a lot of, in, in our main driver, house of worship, we're seeing a lot of really bad house of worship. Really bad. Because the skill set is not there anymore for a lot of, a lot of, a lot of integrators. And that's not that's not necessarily bad, but it a lot of times leads to a bad result. And we had a, a project that we did some consulting on for an integrator friend of mine. 
And he's up against a security company for a medium-sized house of worship product project. He's quoting against an alarm company. It's a shame. And he's three times as much because, well, they're an alarm company. And that's no disrespect to them, but they are so far outside of their lane. No. Richie? Well, I'm I'm all about wherever the collection plate goes. So, <laughs> you know, we are all coin operated. We are all coin operated. We are all coin operated. Um, Can I pay you in prayers? That's it. Uh, yeah, the early Lent. Yeah, yeah, the AV Lent special. Um, so, you know, honestly, I, I'm finding myself being drawn back more into commercial than I have in years. Um, and I think right now, it, it, ironically enough, it's a ripe time um, just for the industry, just for the way that people are working differently. Um, there are, you know, just with the, the aspect of telecommuting at this point, there's more of a need for this type of conferencing solutions and huddle space solutions and connecting solutions, you know, the, the whole point of unified communications, right? Um, so, you know, what we're seeing and we're seeing and we're seeing it even in residential where we're setting up spaces that are, you know, quasi meeting spaces inside a home that do have cameras and do have a soft codec and do have, you know, better microphones um, and have the ability for people. And especially, you know, the one thing that we always forget and, and one of the reasons why we've been seeing kind of this uptick is traffic sucks, you know, especially in major metropolitan areas. Um, you know, I'm... I know for a fact that in the Silicon Valley, to get 30 miles from here to a meeting on a good day will take me 90 minutes. On a bad day, it could take me over two and a half hours, 30 to 40 miles. And that's not uncommon in Los Angeles, in New York, here in the Bay Area, um, you know, other segments of the East Coast. It's, it's definitely there. And so... I mean, to answer your question is, you know, wh what are we finding? Well, we're looking at all of the options where, you know, we can provide that peace of mind where people are going to see the value in not having to be in a car going back and forth. And that's really what it comes down to is, you know, do you, do you have to be in a car? Is your employer forcing you to come into an office to sit with everybody and look at them face to face? If they're not, if they're more flexible and you're seeing that more with tech to begin with, because it is a different way of operating to begin with, um, you know, we're seeing the growth. And so we're, you know, where I'm just, brother's got to eat. So I'm jumping right on it whenever I see it. Uh, <laughs> All right. You know, now, have we done, have I seen churches? No, but that's never been, you know, that's, that's never been my wheelhouse. It's cool. Um, and I can appreciate it. But, you know, I, in that respect, we, we're focusing on kind of staying within our lane um, with those spaces. No, absolutely. All right, guys. Uh, last story we're going to cover here is from Innovate on the Net. UK uh, visual, visual, audio visual hire specialist Smart AV has acquired another technical services provider called NSYNC. Quote, unquote, the acquisition enables Smart AV to offer a range of services to production companies as well as design agencies and builders. Matt, I'll start with you and then Richie uh, and then Bradford, I want to end with you on this one. That's so unsafe. I know. Um, he's the end user. That's why I, I kind of want to end with <laughs> Um, how, how, when you guys go out and you, and you have a job and let's say that there's a job that might be, you know, bigger than, than your current staffing can handle. When you go out and you hire some of these, these service providers, these folks, 
what is it that you're looking for? Uh, I mean, are you looking for certifications? Are you looking for, you know, you have a personal relationship with, with maybe your, your account manager or the person who owns the company. What are you looking for when you're looking to, to ramp up and, and hire, you know, seasonal help or, or, or project-based help? Competency. But how do you define that's, that? I mean, that's without, what I can't find. <laughs> without, but here's the thing though, without seeing these people, you don't know these people from, from anybody else. That you're contacting this company, they're sending you, you know, a dozen folks to, to help you on a job. You don't know them until they get there. How do you get the? How do you have the the confidence of their competency before they get there? All of the providers and and friends of mine that own these companies or, or work for these companies are going to hate this answer, but it's totally trial and error because we have gone through, and, and this is something that we use a lot, and it's part of the way that our house of worship business has changed. We routinely hire third-party labor to come in and help facilitate installations and things such as that. And it is something where, to be honest, we start and try to ensure that the first couple of days, all you do is pull wire. There's nothing technical. There's nothing overly challenging. So we can kind of oversee the group of people coming in and go, okay, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're not go home. And it sounds really crass, but we've hired personnel that have a laundry list of certifications that should never touch anything. We've had people that don't have a clue in, in, on paper how to do what we do, and they show up and they've got a great attitude, a great work ethic, and they're fantastic. And then often I try and hire them away, but it is, it's literally trial and error because what you'll find is whether they have the right certifications or not, a lot of times it just comes down to how they deal with whoever's managing that project. Whether in in my company's case, it's myself or one of my guys, it's making sure that those personnel are good and, and, and fit well just like you would when you're regular, when you're normally hiring uh, an employee. That fit has to, has to be there. Otherwise, their technical skills to a degree don't really matter. Yeah. Richie, same kind of question. Um, Rich primarily does, does uh, a lot of, of programming, but also he's uh, a digital concierge, so he's, he consults a lot as well. When you're looking to add folks, add bodies to your jobs, what are you looking for? Well, you know, it's, I mean, first off, I mean, what we would hope for is that we would, you know, we belong to these associations and we participate with these associations in the hopes that we can support them and have a a balanced or at least a somewhat level playing field, at least a minimum threshold, right? So CTS credentials, Um, if it is a residential project, you know, if they are a CDM member, CDS certified, if they got some background, I mean, the, the, the certs and the specs and everything that comes, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like insurance, you know, everybody has insurance. People have a minimum threshold of the jobs coming in. That's what you're expecting for. But, you know, it, it, to allude to what Matt said, yeah, part of it is trial and error. Part of it is who you know in terms of the companies, what kind of relationship you have with them, quality of work you've seen before. And I mean, a lot of the technical service company, unless it's a, um, unless it's a, a union backed, company that's being brought in into an area, um, you're going to wind up having some form of experience with a company or you're, you're, you're basically um, throwing a Hail Mary 
and like you've got in over your head or you've got a deadline and literally you're looking for any bodies in that region. And you know, that that's where the trial and error comes in sometimes where, you know, you have to hope yeah. that there is a service company in that region to begin with. Um, you know, obviously nobody wants to go to Canada. So it's really tough for Matt to begin with. Wait uh, up, wait up. I'd rather be in Canada. <laughs> not, not with Matt, just I'd rather be in Canada. I love you too. Uh, but we have, I mean, and we've worked with, with companies. There, there are companies that are, are, are private. I mean, obviously, mostly you're going to see it in, in, in the commercial space. But you do see a, a bit in the residential space. But those guys are mostly freelancers. I mean, you're not necessarily going to see a team of 20 guys show up to deploy a house. Um, you, know, you will see that in terms of you know, an office building or a university or something like that. But it's also some very specific work and, and Sometimes it's, it's a matter of finding, do you have people who can read blueprints and schematics? If they can do that and they can count and, you know, work with a labeler. Can you yeah, read a, a step in the measure? Right, yeah, it's a step in the right direction. Um, and I think there's a value for it because, again, for integrators and because of the way the margins are changing, you can't necessarily afford to stay staffed up all the time or yeah. keep that business rolling to there. And so I see that there's going to be a, an increase in that over time where there's going to be the ability for um you know a journeyman audio video technician i know um it's one fellow i met years ago his entire gig is um setting up um on demand basically digital signage weather displays mm -hmm. so he's got all of these little he's got like hundreds of these little bright sign boxes and displays and he carts them up and if there's a convention or an event or something he shows up and sets up the bright signs and and that's his gig his day in day out gig and i was like pretty cool you know you get, get get called in so there's always a niche for something like that um, but I think in the larger services absolutely you know if you're a smaller company and you do wind up getting you know an, an add-on for a corporation you're already working with um, then yeah you got to staff up and you got to hope for the best and you know I mean obviously in commercial I, I, you obviously you start with the CTS credentials I think and then you go from there all right, Bradford, uh, you are uh, as you've said at one point in time to me you are the most important person on this call because you're an end user so as an and as somebody who puts together rules, is this okay? Is hiring folks and, and uh, bringing extra labor in okay? Or do you want somebody who has, you know, the hundred people that it takes to do that job, you want those same hundred people employed by that, that integrator? Both. Okay. I want, I want, we understand, I understand that companies are going to staff up and staff down certain parts of a job are not high skill items. I don't say that, that it's no skill, but there's a different skill set between programming and pulling cable. Pulling cable, you still need knowledge. You still need to know bend radiuses and pulse strength and all that. But what, we're, what I'm more concerned about is when the job's done and I have a service call, odds are it's gonna be about someone who put a semicolon where there should have been a semicolon in, in the software. And to me, that's more important in my personal opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of my employer or anyone else. In my personal opinion, that is the important thing is that your core talent, your designers, your specifiers, your commissioning people, those people need to be your core team. Because if all that you're doing is subbing another company, A, it means I'm not going to get the same service every time. And B, as an end user who likes having more money to write checks with, 
why would I pay a markup for you to hire other labor if they don't bring a specialized skill? Now, like I said, not everything needs to be on staff. We understand things keep switching back and forth, and there's lean times and fat times. We understand that. I understand that. However, the idea of I'm going to hire Omega AV, and this week I get great service. Who hit it out of the park, everyone was nice, polite, etc. And the next project, I'm going to hire Omega AV, and they're different subs. And this feels more like a second-class system. Now, I don't blame Matt. It's just that's the challenge you have with having subs. You're yeah. going to blame Matt. But trust me on that. Everybody's going to blame Everybody's going to blame Matt. Well, yeah, well, it's cool. Also, at the same point, I believe Mr. Faragosa owes a, an apology to the venerable statesman of audio, Mr. Brock McGinnis, for lumping in Matt as the representative of Canada for everything. But my point being is, is that as the company, you are taking on more liability than I think you realize if you're subcontracting. And as the owner, as someone writing a check, once again, my personal opinion, not speaking on behalf of my company, none of that stuff. If I'm paying you and you're subbing it, what happens if you don't pay your subcontractor for whatever reason? What happens if there are problems between you and the subcontractor agreeing, agreeing on terms? That impacts my project. Now, having said that, it's a different game a different situation if you come to, to me as an owner, and I have this exact same thing when I pull wire at my house, or have, you know, even when, you know, you do some basic stuff, like if I'm getting cable pulled to my house, is it Spectrum, or is it a Spectrum contractor? That's a different thing. But if you come to me and go, I don't have the staffing for this, I'm gonna sub out to do blah, 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 and here's how I'm gonna verify their work. We're both walking down hand-in-hand hand, understanding. So you're subbing out the guy who's going to put, put in all the Cat 5 and terminate it and do all of your IP routing. Great. How are you going to back it up? Oh, you as your company is going to certify it and run and check the ports, make sure you have connectivity? Simpler situation. And while, yes, I work for a multinational company that has hundreds of thousands of, of employees, but to me, this is just as much of an issue for the small mom and pops or just mom companies where the mom company hires a small, you know, someone to pull cable for them and there's a problem because the cable was pinched. It's the small, it's the small company that's doing the service, taking the warranty hit, the reputation hit, not the person who, who pulled the cable. But if the ownership company, the person signing the check knows, you know, the owner of that company didn't pull the cable, it was a subcontractor. They know who to call to get it fixed, but it's they're not going to blame the owner of that small mom company. Well, and I think that brings up a discussion that we don't have time for today of at what point do you have to disclose that? There are a lot of situations where you don't need to disclose if you're bringing in a subcontractor for this or you're, you're outsourcing programming or things such as that. It, it becomes that... Uh, it's a, it's a fuzzy line. It is. And, but, but I will say, for instance, I work for a huge company. We have a huge contract that gives you the guidelines mm -hmm. of when you have to disclose it. Like, me as a, sorry, me as an end user, 
I want to know that when the programming stops working and I pick up the phone and call you, the SLA says that I'll get service level agreement, that I'll get four-hour service, 24-hour service, eight-hour service. If that's met, it doesn't bother me. If it's, oh, my subcontractor can't get to it for another two years, sorry, two weeks, two days, that's where it impacts my experience. And I think we need to be more uh, transparent about that as, a, as an industry. And I would argue that that is an integrator not doing his job properly, whether he's subconning or not. It, it's yeah. his responsibility to deal with it. It comes down to the contract, but that's that. That is all the time we have, guys. Thank you so much. Mr. Bradford Ben, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you can usually find me on the Twitters at Bradford Ben with two N's. You can find me at avnation.tv, where I'm usually uh, making sure to keep the place working. Of course, you'll be able to find me at Infocom uh, coming up. Uh, I'm doing a couple of really cool things with AV Nation that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, we've debated about having a barbecue at my place, but Tim says he's not going to do it. So we're out of plans for that. Any suggestions, please let us know. Uh, but basically, if you Google me, you can find me. You oftentimes, like I said, can find me making fun of Tim and the Chicago Bears. However, now that football season is over, also it's over for 2020 already, I found out, for the Bears. I'll be making fun of his blues, but because my devils are doing so much worse, I can't really run smack on him. Yeah, well, we'll this year. you won't. Yeah, we w if you don't find me, you can usually find me teasing Mr. Matt Scott on Twitter. So, Matt, how do people get a hold of you? You can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please stop by avianation.tv where you no, find no, my you show. You, can, you have to get rich. <laughs> hey, 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 Richie. Yeah, Since to pass the lot on, on the Facebooks and we're doing and the baby, awesome. we're doing the Brady bunch. I don't know if I'm up top or I don't know if we're in a quad screen or not. I no, you're down there. Okay, right, uh, Richie. Uh, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? You can find me on the interwebs. Uh, type in my name, Rich Fragosa. But uh, you can also find me on Twitter at rfragosa, uh, fragosadesign.com. But First and foremost, absolutely find us here on avnation.tv, uh, here on Resi Week with my good friend Matt Scott. Um, also on A State of Control, our show about the control system programming industry with my very good friend Steve Greenblatt, uh, who is the hostess with the mostess. Uh, but obviously, please visit us here at avnation.tv. We, we love seeing you, and my mother will thank you. All right, uh, I think they're going to let me talk now. Um, don't hey, follow Tim, me. If people want to connect with you. Uh, don't where follow can me. They find you? But go by the website, avnation.tv, as everybody here has said. Uh, actually, Matt is joining me uh, and our buddy uh, Joe Whitaker and Emil in a couple of weeks on a webinar on user centric design. Okay. So check that out and, and register for that. Uh, also, check out Matt's show and Rich's show. Uh, and we have actually have a brand new show I want you to check out as well if you're into digital signage or getting into that industry. It's called the Digital Signage Digest. It's a monthly. Um, look at the news and the uh, issues surrounding digital signage hosted by Lenore. Uh, so check that out as well. All that and more at avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.